Hello, I'm Mary, and you're listening to First Pages Readings. In this podcast, I explore reading and celebrate books as cultural messengers. Each episode, I'll read from three books of either fiction, nonfiction, young adult, middle grade, or poetry. Hello and welcome to First Pages Readings, Episode 27, and thanks for joining me. Today I'll be reading from three books of nonfiction, so let's get started. Today's first book is The Year 1000 by Valerie Hansen. This book takes us on an odyssey across continents and seas. Open the book to any chapter, and you'll be transported to another time and place. Smells, sights, and sounds come alive as we learn about thriving trade enterprises, cultural connections, travel routes, and more. The book paints a picture of the regions of the world and their connectedness in the year 1000. And thank you to my Uncle Phil for recommending it. The first page of the year 1000. The world in the year 1000. Strangely, no new technology caused this burst of interregional travel around the year 1000. As in earlier times, people moved overland primarily by walking or riding animals or carts, and they traversed water in canoes, sailboats, or wooden ships. Trade among different regions increased in the year 1000 because a surplus in agriculture led to population growth and allowed some of the populace to stop farming full-time, to produce goods for markets, and to become merchants. The place in the world with the highest population in the year 1000, as now, was China. Its population reached some 100 million. Throughout history, the Chinese have made up between one-quarter and one-third of the people living on the globe. The economy boomed during the Song Dynasty, 960 to 1276. As Chinese merchants and ships traded with both Southeast Asia and South India, where localities growing rice also supported burgeoning populations. The populations of grain-growing areas in the Middle East and Europe weren't as high as those in Asia, but were still significant. From 751 to about 900, the Abbasid Empire controlled a large swath of territory from North Africa in the west all the way to Central Asia in the east. Unification under the Abbasids facilitated the movement of many crops across the empire. Some, like sorghum, originated in West Africa. Others, like rice, came from India. The cultivation of tropical plants from Iran and India transformed life all over the Abbasid realm by encouraging farmers to work throughout the summer, something they previously hadn't done. Today's next book is Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. If you're interested in understanding more about how the modern world came about, this book is a fascinating exploration into things like crops and livestock, food production, the languages of China, and more. For Guns, Germs, and Steel, I think it's important to read from the first page of its prologue. Yali's Question We all know that history has proceeded very differently for peoples from different parts of the globe. In the 13,000 years since the end of the last ice age, some parts of the world developed literate industrial societies with metal tools. 
Other parts developed only non-literate farming societies, and still others retained societies of hunter-gatherers with stone tools. Those historical inequalities have cast long shadows on the modern world. Because the literate societies with metal tools have conquered or exterminated the other societies. While those differences constitute the most basic fact of world history, the reasons for them remain uncertain and controversial. This puzzling question of their origins was posed to me 25 years ago in a simple, personal form. In July 1972, I was walking along a beach on the tropical island of New Guinea, where as a biologist I study bird evolution. I had already heard about a remarkable local politician named Yali, who was touring the district then. By chance, Yali and I were walking in the same direction on that day, and he overtook me. We walked together for an hour, talking during the whole time. Yali radiated charisma and energy. His eyes flashed in a mesmerizing way. He talked confidently about himself, but he also asked lots of probing questions and listened intently. Our conversation began with a subject then, on every New Guinean's mind, the rapid pace of political developments. Today's third book is A Natural History of the Senses by Diane Ackerman. This book explores the biology of our senses, including their necessity and how they interact with the natural world. And yet it's much more. This book's striking and beautiful prose remains long after its pages are closed. The first page of A Natural History of the Senses. The Mute Sense. Nothing is more memorable than a smell. One scent can be unexpected, momentary, and fleeting, yet conjure up a childhood summer beside a lake in the Poconos. When wild blueberry bushes teemed with succulent fruit and the opposite sex was as mysterious as space travel. Another, hours of passion on a moonlit beach in Florida, while the night-blooming cereus drenched the air with thick curds of perfume, and huge sphinx moths visited the cereus in a loud purr of wings. A third, a family dinner of pot roast, noodle pudding, and sweet potatoes. During a myrtle-mad August in a Midwestern town when both of one's parents were alive. Smells detonate softly in our memory, like poignant landmines, hidden under the weedy mass of many years and experiences. Hit a tripwire of smell, and memories explode all at once. A complex vision leaps out of the undergrowth. People of all cultures have always been obsessed with smell, sometimes applying perfumes in Niagara's of extravagance. The Silk Road opened up the Orient to the Western world, but the Scent Road opened up the heart of nature. Our early ancestors strolled among the fruits of the earth with noses vigilant and precise, following the seasons smell by smell at home in their brimming larder. We can detect over 10,000 different odors, so many, in fact, that our memories would fail us if we tried to jot down everything they represent. In The Hound of the Baskervilles, Sherlock Holmes identifies a woman by the smell of her notepaper, pointing out that there are 75 perfumes, which it is very necessary that a criminal expert should be able to distinguish from each other. Thank you for spending time with me today. If you liked listening to this episode, please subscribe.